0: Beginning with verse 18. Genesis 2 starting with verse 18. Then the Lord God said, It is not good for man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. And out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field, every bird of the sky, and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called a living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the cattle, to the birds of the sky, to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper suitable for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. He slept, then he took one of his ribs, closed up the flesh at that place. And the Lord fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. For this cause a man shall leave his father and his mother and shall cleave to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. I have to confess this morning as we look at this passage, it wasn't until Danny read 1 Corinthians 13 that it dawned on me, this is Valentine's Day week and uh, here we have celebration of marriage. That was not planned. We, we are making our way through the book of uh, Genesis and uh, sometimes the Lord gets it right even when we don't even think about it. So uh, we're, we're looking at the celebration of marriage today, specifically the creation of Eve. Have you ever wondered why God made Eve? I have ten reasons, somebody wrote out here, uh, of, of why God made Eve. The first one is... God worried that Adam would always be lost in the garden because men hate to ask directions. (laughs) Then God knew that Adam would one day need someone to hand him the TV remote. Men don't want to see what's on television. They want to see what else is on. God knew that Adam would never buy a new fig leaf when his seat wore out and would therefore need Eve to get one for him. God knew that Adam would never make a doctor's appointment for himself. God knew that Adam would never remember which night to put the trash out. God knew that if the world was to be populated, man would never be able to handle childbearing. As keeper of the garden, Adam would never remember where he put his tools. The scripture account indicates Adam needed someone to blame for his troubles when God caught him hiding in the garden. And the number one reason God created Eve is when God finished the creation of Adam, he stepped back, scratched his head, and said, I can do better than that. <laughs> 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 On a more serious note, uh, Dr. Wilder, or Dr. Aldrich, in one of his books, The Secret to the Inner Beauty, wrote these words about marriage. He said, a wedding is one thing, a marriage is another. What a difference between the way things start in the home and the way they continue. He goes on to to quote, it said, It doesn't take long for newlyweds to discover that everything in one person, nobody's got. They soon learned that a marriage license is just a learner's permit. (laughs) Socrates once said, told his students, By all means, marry. If you get a good wife, twice blessed you will be. If you get a bad wife... You'll become a philosopher. <laughs> Count Kieserling said it well when he stated, The essential difficulties of life do not end, but rather begin with marriage. Another writer in a hymn of marriage said, The question is asked Is there anything more beautiful in life than a young man and a young lady clasping clean hands and pure hearts in the path of marriage? And his answer is yes. There is a mute, more beautiful thing. It is the spectacle of an old man and an old woman finishing their journey together on that path. Their hands may be gnarled, but still clasped. Their faces seamed, but still radiant. Their hearts tired and bowed down, but still strong. They have proved the happiness of marriage and love continues. And that's what we want to think of as we look at what is going on here in this particular passion. Now, I want to be clear at the very beginning of this message I am not saying that everyone should be married. That's not my intention here this morning. As a matter of fact, when you look at Scripture, Jesus was not married. The indication is that Paul was not uh, Barnabas. In 1 Corinthians 9, 5, it speaks of the fact that Paul was referring to both himself and Barnabas as single there. In 1 Corinthians 7, Paul recommended that because of what was going on in the Corinthian church and so forth, that if possible, they remain single. And yet the same individual writes in 1 Timothy chapter five that he wanted the younger widows to marry. So the important issue is not, is somebody married or single? The important issue is, are they where God wants them to be? God is the one that's sovereign in those areas. And I would encourage you, if you love to play the matchmaker part, stop. (laughs) Let God be God In your brother or sister's life and let them get their direction, not from you, but but from God himself there. But because we're looking through the book of Genesis, we want to see, first of all, this morning, God's concern. What was his concern for Adam? Notice verse 18. This is the only time in the whole creation account uh, in chapters one and two where you have the words not good. Remember, God said it is good. It is very good of his creation. But when you, you come there, he says, it is not good for man to be alone. And so he remedied that situation. He created a helpmeet for Adam. Adam was to be or Eve was to be. And I say this, I realize you can take it two ways. He was, she was to be his complement. I use that word spelled with an E, not an I. She wasn't there to say nice things about him necessarily. She was there to complete the picture uh, of what God had in mind for Adam and Eve. She was there to be his helper, to assist him to reflect the image of God. Without Eve, Adam could not fully reflect the image and the character of God. It, It needed the two of them together. They had different roles, different responsibilities, but both of them, as we saw back in chapter 1, verse 27, were equally important to God. Both of them were essential for the image of God to be revealed. And you say, well, why was that necessary? Well, we're revealing something to the angels. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10. We have been called to, to model the character of Christ so that the angels see something. I, I realize we, we, may, we may not like to be an object lesson, but, but we are to, to the angels. And, uh, and for that to be fully worked out, God said, I need Adam, I need Eve as, as well. And one of the problems, I think, with the women's lib movement today is the women are trying to be like men. They are setting their sights way too low if that's their goal. They are not to be, uh, God said, I didn't need another Adam. I needed an Eve there. They need to realize they have a high and holy calling. They need to find out what that is. Forget what he's calling men to do. They need to do what God is calling them to do because they have the tremendous privilege of revealing something about God that we as men can't do. And so God created them for that special purpose. But before he created Eve, notice he brought all of the animals and all of the birds to Adam to name, to, to give them a name. That that was quite a job. He must have had a tremendous intellect. You ever have that experience? You see an animal and you want to scratch your head, what is that? I've seen that before, but I don't remember what it's called anymore. Uh, maybe some of you aren't that far along. Uh, but uh, I, I had that embarrassing situation this morning in Sunday school class. We watched a movie Friday night, and I couldn't even remember the name of it. <laughs> this, I couldn't tell him the name. I could tell him what it was about. Yeah, I know you know it. <laughs> but uh, some of us are farther along the line in losing our intellect than others. But Adam named them all. And I think there's that's important for us to realize because... As, as we'll see when we get down to the creation of, of Eve, the idea of naming something in the word that he uses for naming the animals indicates that Adam had a headship over that. Remember he was to be over God's creation. He, he was to be the one that oversaw it and so forth. That That's implied in that word naming the animals. Now, Keep that thought in your back of your mind when we come down to Eve here. Another reason I think he went through that process before he created Eve was to demonstrate to Adam he needed something. And he was not going to find it in the animal world. I I realize some of you are pet lovers. And I know how important those pets are to you. We we have to put up with a cat. But uh, (laughs) it... it, uh, That's as far as we're going with animals. (laughs) But I I want you to realize, no matter how serious an animal lover you are, that pet is no substitute for another person. It cannot reflect the image of God as a a partner can there. So if you want the complete picture, you're not going to find it in an animal there. But that was God's concern. It's not good for Adam to be alone. And so we have God's creation next in verses 21 and 22. He did not make Eve as he did Adam. He didn't take another chunk of dirt and mix it together and and make Eve. Uh, Someone has suggested that Eve is dirt doubly refined. He refined it first into the form of Adam and then he puts Adam to sleep and takes a rib And again, someone has suggested that the reason men don't understand women is because they were asleep when this happened. (laughs) Uh, Adam slept through it all, missed the whole thing there. But he takes a rib and he fashions it into a woman. We can only specify why did he take a rib. Now, I realize from a physical standpoint, the the rib is one bone that that will grow back so I I don't know if Adam went through the rest of his life minus one rib or whether it it actually grew back or not but uh, I I, I like the advice of a rabbi's daughter in the second century she was asked the question uh, why did God make Eve from a, a rib she very wisely answered that question by saying Eve was not taken from his head to rule over him nor from his feet to be trampled on by him, but from his side to be equal with him, under his arm to be protected by him, near to his heart to be loved by him. A remarkable insight there. That That is perhaps one of the reasons God did it. But as I mentioned, Adam uh, and Eve were created for a reason. And one of the, those reasons, I believe, is to reveal to us the essential message of salvation. We need both of them to, to complete that picture uh, and and it's important that Eve come from Adam if that picture is going to be complete. In, in Romans chapter 5 and I this is where I take issue with those that uh, teach theistic evolution that they, Adam Eve, Eve slowly evolved, Eve slowly evolved and, and so forth it, it, in Romans chapter 5 in verse 12, he speaks of the fact, therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all had sinned. Had they come from two different lines, death wouldn't have passed necessarily to Eve through Adam. But And the importance of that comes in, in verse 15, where he says, the free gift is not like the transgression, for if the transgression of the one, the many died, much more did the grace of God And the gift of grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abound to the many there. And so to complete that picture, God created Adam and Eve, and Eve taken out of Adam there, and in this very same way, Christ becomes the second Adam, becomes the representative for us, following the picture that God gives to us in the book of Genesis. That's extra. That won't be on your final exam here, but... That was God's creation. That leads to God's counsel next here. And I realized verses 23 through 25 were words that were spoken by Adam. This was his viewpoint of what what he was witnessing at this point in his life. But as you look at that, I think you see God's design here for marriage. Where did Adam come up with this wisdom? I think he got it from God. He had no prior example. He didn't have parents to look back to. He had no design up until this point for for marriage. I, I think this was God's revelation to Adam. And Adam, as he looks at Eve, makes that statement. This is now bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. This is a part of me. And he calls her Isha, which means Woman. He doesn't call her Eve at this point. You will not find him giving her a name until you come down uh, to chapter three, verse twenty. The as I said with the animals, the the word that he uses in chapter in verse twenty here he he gave them a name or he named them. That implies authority over them. The word that he uses here as he calls her woman. Is a totally different word. It, he is not claiming authority over her until after the fall of man, and, and God then gives them those specific roles. At, at this point in time, what he's really saying is, and the word that he uses here is rather not a naming formula, but a cry of delight. Another way you could probably put it is, he was saying, "Wow, what what a, what a blessing from from God!" and and he was welcoming. Welcoming Eve into his life at, at this point. And then he comes with some good advice for every married couple. And I'm going to borrow some terms from Dr. Allender. Some of you heard Dr. Allender as he spoke, I think, at his place church several years ago and uh, has put on conferences in, in uh, Post Falls and, and Coeur d'Alene. He wrote a book entitled Intimate Allies. And he uses three words to describe what's going on in this passage. So, being a good pastor, I'm going to steal his outline and, and use his outline. Uh, I, I still remember the, the director of in our uh, Rocky Mountain District, director of church extension. We don't have anybody with that official title in our district yet, but uh, uh, he, uh, Vern Olson, was his name. He he said that uh, preachers are the Prince of Thieves. We're always stealing an outline, a thought, an illustration, uh, or borrowing it or whatever ever you want that, to, to call it. There's, that's what I'm doing this morning. He used three words in his book. The first word is that in marriage we are called to leave. Leave. Very simple word. Man was to leave his father and mother, not forsake them forever. But there was a recognition that in that marriage union, they were forming a new building block within that society, a new family unit there. Uh, I, I realized that can be tough on parents. Uh, I was talking to somebody just the other day, and, and I, I said to him, you know what? You're going through the empty nest, and uh, that has its challenges. It, it, uh, sometimes it's difficult for us to wrestle with. And yet, in, in Psalm 127, we get a glimpse of that in verse three, 3 through 5. It says, children are a gift of the Lord. You recognize that? Were your children a gift from God? I hope so. I hope you recognize that. He goes on to say, the fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. How blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They shall not be ashamed when they speak with their enemies in the gate. But notice he compares children there to arrows. Someone has, I remember when I was in, in a seminary, we, we had a class on the Psalms or a, in one of our preaching classes, we all had to give a message on one of the Psalms. We, we, he had a whole list of Psalms. We got to choose which one we wanted this individual that that chose this particular psalm said an arrow, arrow has to be shaped, aimed, and released. Look at that for a minute. They have to be shaped, they have to be aimed, and they have to be released to be effective. And isn't that what God calls us to do in in our family units? Is we He gives gifts us with those children. We have the responsibility to shape them. To bring them up in the fear and admonition of the Lord. To to teach them the ways of the Lord. And and then hopefully we can point them in the right direction. And then let them go. Let God take them where he wants. Let God do what he wants in their life. Release them to do what what God has for them. That's all part of that leaving process there. And, And I realize sometimes that's tough on mom and dad. But that's the goal of parenthood. And we need to recognize that and and be willing to cooperate with that. The the second word that he uses here is that word cleave. We have weave or leave. I mean, we have cleave. And I realize that's an old-fashioned word. It's a word that has changed its meaning over the years. Uh, some anymore, when we think of cleave, we think of a cleaver. Take that cleaver and we just whack that meat, and it's. Split it two. That's not the the meaning of the word that he uses here. The, The original meaning of the word was to adhere to or cling to. It carries the idea that within that marriage relationship, there is to be a faithfulness to their commitment to one another. They are to cling to one another. Jesus brings that out in Matthew chapter 19, where he's speaking on the issue of marriage and divorce He he quotes from this passage, he said in verse five, this cause a man shall leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. Consequently, they are no longer two, but one. What God has joined together, let no one separate. And uh, so there is that whole idea built into the marriage concept in the very beginning of time. They were to cleave, they were to cling to one another. And then the the third word that Dr. Allendorf used was that word weave. Notice he says here, two shall become one. That's one of the challenges of marriage, isn't it? Have you ever stopped to think how different you are from your partner? <laughs> different as day and night sometimes, aren't we? Uh, I, I, I I still sometimes marvel that that, that God felt that Ginger and I could become one. Uh, we were different as day and night. Uh, we, we had a lot of areas that, that we, we had to work through, a lot of differences that, that arose there. But uh, the idea in marriage is that we are to become one. We are to be woven together so that we can reveal to the world the glory of Jesus Christ. Now that weaving is first of all involves a physical dimension. We have here the, the 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 physical aspect, the sexual intimacy that was involved in it. Hebrews thirteen four says that the marriage bed is undefiled. Uh, it, it's something to celebrate. It's it's uh, it's love at, at its fullest. There. Uh, if you want to see a picture of that love, read the book of Song of Solomon. There he details the the marriage relationship, the marriage love there. And I think we need to sometimes stress that with our young people. We, we always tell them, you know, you gotta wait, uh, uh, but do we ever tell them why? The, the beauty of what it means to wait and to give yourself fully to, to your partner and so forth there. We, we, we need programs such as that Why Wait program to communicate the value of staying pure. Until the marriage relationship, and then continuing to celebrate that relationship in the purity that that God has brought you together. It is also there's also here a covenantal dimension to this uh, re- relationship. They were made for each other. They they were making a covenant with one another in, in this passage. I have over the years officiated at many. Different wedding ceremonies. It, it's always uh, uh, interesting to watch how couples uh, approach the wedding day and and uh, the, the the ceremony and so forth. It's uh, in, in a lot of ways it's easier to do a funeral than it is to do a wedding. Uh, I, I, I hate to say that, but it is because you don't get any argument from the person that's in the in the casket. There, um, <laughs> I, I remember one wedding we had. Back in Ikalaka, uh, I, I don't know how that wedding ever survived or if it did survive. But I, it, when the couple came to for mar- premarital counseling, the wife's mother came with them. And I thought, this is not going to work. <laughs> and and everything that the, the bride wanted to do, the mother contradicted. And finally, I said to her, you have to leave. This is not your wedding. It's her wedding. And we're going to do it her way. I, I was not the favorite person with that (laughs) mother-in-law but the the wedding went ahead as the the bride wanted it there but whenever I do a wedding I, I always have the couple when it comes time to say their vows turn and face each other they're not saying their vows to me they're saying they're making a covenant with one another. And I think that's important that they recognize that that is a covenant that is being made a sacred responsibility in the sight of God. There's a, a social dimension to a, a marriage as well. It is more than just a private ceremony. It's part of, they're part of a larger society. There is a, a legal aspect, I think, that, that needs to be done. I know in the day and age in which we live that a lot of people say we can, we love each other. We can just live together. No, you can't. You are to create a legal family unit within society there. It involves so much more than just living together. A couple that lives together finds there is no real lasting stability there. Either one can walk away at any time. They they, they need that legal commitment and, and that, they need that testimony to the community as well. Because the family is the building block of society. As someone has wisely said, as goes the family, so goes the nation. And we're experiencing that today. As our families deteriorate, so does our, our nation as well. So there's that social dimension. And then there's a spiritual dimension to a wedding as well or a marriage. Ephesians 5.31 says, For this cause, he's quoting again from the book of Genesis, a man shall leave his father, mother, cleave to his wife, the two shall become one flesh. This mystery, he said, is great. You ever marvel at that mystery? When when, when you look at your marriage and, and you see how things have worked, you ever marvel uh, of what God is able to do when, when he brings two people together? If we allow Him to work it, it's... You, uh, you ever scratch your head and say, how in the world did it, we get to this point? <laughs> I, and I, I'm using that in a good sense, not, not in a, a negative sense there. He said, I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each individual among you also love his own wife, even as himself, and let the wife see to it that she respect her husband there. And so uh, a marriage is to be a reflection of Christ and the church. We are to reveal something through our marriage relationship about Christ to the world in which we live. That's why God encourages marriage between two children of God. Not a child of God and a, and a child that hasn't accepted Christ. We, we see that worked out in the life of Olivia Landon. She came from a Christian home. She had accepted the Lord as a child. She fell in love with Mark Twain. Mark Twain was a man who made no profession of faith in Christ. In spite of this, she married him. At first, her life made a deep impression upon him, and he regularly asked the blessing at mealtime, joined her in worship, but gradually this practice fell by the wayside until one day he announced, Livy, I don't believe in the Bible. In the months that followed, his unbelief slowly eroded her confidence in God. Later, during a period of pressing sorrow, he tried to encourage her by saying, Livy, If it comforts you to lean on the Christian faith, do so. But she could only sadly reply, Mark, I can't. My faith has become too weak. What a tragedy. Here was someone that went contrary to what Corinthians says, don't be unequally yoked. She deliberately did it it, and it led down the wrong path. And so as we, we look at this passage today, there are, I believe today two lifestyles sanctioned by God in scripture. One is celibacy. Celibacy has the opportunity for the person to be set free to develop creative friendships of love in a larger community. It also, as Paul suggests in 1 Corinthians 7, it allows for us, those that are celibate, to serve God, perhaps in a in a greater way than they, they can in marriage. Although I'm not sure that I, that's the term I, 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 I should use there, but it allows them to focus more time on serving the Lord and what the Lord would have them to do. The other is the heterosexual marriage, a man and a woman. There is no other context for relationships in scripture. Every, every other sexual context is is condemned in scripture. Marriage is the place where we can live out that the intimacy that God has for us, where it's an appropriate expression. It also allows for a man and a woman to fulfill the command of God. Remember, he said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. That The way in which that happens is through marriage. It also, I believe, is perhaps one of the greatest testimonies to the world today. If your marriage is what it should be in Christ, you have the opportunity, I believe, of revealing Jesus Christ to the society around about you. And so as, as we think about that, I'll go back to what I said in the beginning. I am not advocating that everybody marry. Scripture doesn't indicate that either. If you are single today, let me ask you to wrestle with the question. Are you seeking to use that signal, sing, signalness as a gift of God to somehow reveal the glory of God to those that you come in contact with? Can they see through your life an example of someone devoted to God, of, of someone that is using their time, their talents to the glory of, of Jesus Christ? Are, are you entering into serving him to the best of your capacity there? And then if you're married... The same question, are you seeking to glorify God through your marriage? Are, are you seeking to let the world see the difference that Christ can make in a relationship? Are, are you seeking to live out the principles that God gives to those that are married? And I appreciate the fact that we read First Corinthians chapter 13 this morning. As I think about that, I think of what Paul was saying in chapter 5 of Ephesians there. He said, Wives, you're to be submissive to your husbands. Now, men, we like that passage, don't we? They're to be submissive to us. Later on, he says you're to respect your husband. But did you notice what he said to the husbands? Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. I think there's a challenge in that. I And uh, I, I wish when, when Danny read that passage, he had left the first part out of it. It says love is what? Patient, <laughs> you ever struggle with that, man? You're supposed to demonstrate the patience of Christ to your wife. You ever find that difficult to do? And yet, in our marriage relationship, if we're going to glorify God, we have to demonstrate that patience. We have to be kind. And on and on it goes in that passage. I think if you're married today, that's your assignment. Go home and read 1 Corinthians 13, again, starts with verse, the passage specifically that you want to look at starts with verse 4 there. And read the rest of the chapter. What is God saying to you? You have to put that into practice if you're going to reveal the character of Christ to your family, to those that you come in contact with. If they're going to see a, a glimpse, and it, it, that's one of the reasons he created Adam and Eve, is to reveal the image of God we got to get serious about living that out if in, our, in our homes if we're going to be the, the image of God that he wants us to be in this life today. So you got a lot to wrestle with this week. Go back to 1 Corinthians. Wrestle with your responsibility. And let me say this when I say do that. Uh, don't do it for your partner. You let God speak to your partner. Uh, don't read that and say, hey, Pastor Dan said you've got to be patient with me. <laughs> uh, no, I, I don't need that kind of trouble. <laughs> you, you let God speak to your partner's heart and let God speak to your own heart in those areas. Are you doing what God has asked you to do in, in the role in which he has placed you in this world? Are you seeking today to glorify Jesus Christ by your life, whether it's single or married? Can the world see a glimpse of the image of God in you? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your concern for us as individuals, your concern for Adam, for Eve, for us today. And Father, we realize that you have called each of us to walk perhaps in a different way, different partners, different responsibilities, some in life of singleness, And help us not to compare where we're at with somebody else. Remembering that you said comparing yourselves among yourself, you're not wise. Help us to realize the measure that we are to live up to is Jesus Christ himself. And help us this week to somehow take a long, hard look at our individual lives and ask ourselves, is God being glorified through the way in which we live and the way in which we interact with the society around us? Can the world see Jesus Christ in us? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing, "O Master, Let Me Walk With Thee. And that's the only way this is going to work, if he walks with us.